This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, front and center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. is up hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast where the las vegas review journal talks about hockey i am ben goats one of your review journal golden knights beat writers flying solo today because uh, my colleague dave shane is on a well-deserved uh vacation i don't think he actually went anywhere but he definitely deserves a break after all the hard work that he put in both covering the playoffs and then obviously covering the draft where he actually went to montana and helping me cover free agency and everything like that so it's going to be a solo episode for me today i'm doing this castaway style uh for those of you like me that love that tom hanks movie uh and the main topic we're going to talk about is kind of the basics of hockey analytics i'm going to try to kind of make this an educational episode where i go into some of the kind of the basic advanced statistics that are useful in hockey and hopefully uh as fans those of you listening will find them useful as well um if not you know maybe skip and go to our next episode but at this point there's not that much news out there in the nhl so i thought this could be an interesting time to kind of stop and like i said hopefully learn a thing or two uh before we get into that i want to remind everyone that the golden edge podcast is presented by indeed and favor shot drink also as always please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com uh, i visited the uh future uh, arena of the Henderson Silver Knights, at least what the site is. It's pretty much a dirt lot right now. Uh, but I wrote about that last week as well as published a story kind of on what Silver Knights coach Manny Viveros had to say, how he's adjusting to Henderson so far. Uh, we'll also have the Henderson Silver Knights jersey reveal, which is uh, coming on Monday uh, up on that website, as well as hopefully uh, some other cool stuff that we've kind of got in the hopper. So please check back. They are also, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do to this one. Be much appreciated. Um, so why I decided to kind of do this episode today was obviously one. I wanted to do something that I could conceivably do alone and hopefully be slightly entertaining with it. Um, also, I think, you know, it's an interesting topic because there's not necessarily that, you know, money ball tome that everything gravitates towards when it comes to hockey. I mean, you hear the phrase moneyball, it's basically synonymous with, uh, you know, analytics or advanced statistics in baseball. There's not money puck 
necessarily uh, as a you know book or movie to reference. There is actually a, a moneypuck.com that is actually very helpful. Um, but they are a really important part of the game and where the game is growing. And it is kind of useful to help us understand what's happening in an incredibly you know fast-paced, uh, exciting sport. At least I think it is, obviously, because uh, I write about it for a living. And keep in mind that they are being used by a lot of the top teams in the league, including the Golden Knights. They have some uh, basically, you know, research staffers. And uh, this is kind of the blanket thing I'll say off the top, because I know that advanced statistics and analytics are, you know, kind of a buzzword for debate for people. You know, in my opinion, more information is always better. Now, it's what you do with that information and ultimately how you kind of marry it with what your eyes are telling you that counts. I mean, I think there's always a balance, right? There's always a blend. You shouldn't just treat all of these statistics that we're going to talk about as gospel. And I will point out several reasons why you shouldn't do that. But if you can sign and create you know, your own hybrid where you, you see the numbers, match it with what your eyes are telling you, then I think you really have something. And it's, I think, interesting to note that this kind of stuff is getting more and more out there. Uh, even on NHL.com, they have, you know, an advanced uh, statistics pull down on their stats page. Uh, I often use sites like Natural Statric and Money Puck when I'm doing uh, my writing. And then uh, The Point at The Point Hockey actually tweets out some pretty good stuff as well. Um, so basically, what we're going to do here is I'm going to go through kind of some of the you know basic advanced stats that uh, are useful to hockey folks to kind of understand what's happening. Uh, this is going to be basically 101 entry-level stuff, so I'm not going to get crazy deep. Uh, but if you like what you're hearing or interested in kind of continuing to learn about all this stuff, uh, those websites that I mentioned, once again, naturalstatric, uh, moneypuck.com, those are really good resources for people looking to kind of explore further. And they have glossaries where you can kind of go through, uh, you know, their list of advanced stats and kind of learn what they're all about. But I'm going to go through the basics and the number one basic one that people focus on is an advanced statistic called Corsi. Uh, Corsi is basically a puck possession stat that's shot attempts. Uh, it has a fancy name. Uh, it's actually named after a random member of the Buffalo Sabres front office. It's not that uh, you know meaningful a name. But whenever you uh, hear the name Corsi, just think shot attempts because that's essentially what it means. And I actually uh, spell it out as shot attempts or shot attempts percentage in my writing because I think it's less confusing. It's actually labeled as like shot attempt percentage on NHL.com because I think it's just clear to people what that means. So once again, Corsi, shot attempt. Uh, so anytime a team attempts the shot, uh, that's a Corsi for event is what it's considered. You know, you are pl- the team that attempted that shot is plus one in Corsi. Uh, it doesn't matter if that shot gets blocked, if it's five feet ro- wide of the net, if it goes right at the goalie, still counts. Um, so it's essentially a possession metric. It's not flawless, but basically it's kind of trying to say, hey, if one team is attempting way more shots than the other team, they probably have the puck way more than the other team. And if you have the puck, you are obviously more likely to score. And if you don't have the puck, you are obviously way less likely to score. Um, so it's kind of interesting because you can use it to see how the ice is tilted almost at the a team level. And you can go to the individual player level as well. So, for example, the Golden Knights last year took the second most shot attempts in the league and they allowed the eighth fewest. So both very good numbers. Um, so if you go with uh, Corsi 4 percentage, which basically means 
uh, what percentage of the total shot attempts uh, in your games did you take? Uh, they ranked first at 54.76%. So basically in all the games the Golden Knights played out of the total shot attempts in those games, they took 54.76%, which is a very good number for them. And then you could also go down to the player level. And so the highest Knights player in terms of course, four percentage uh, in the regular season, at least was Nicholas Waugh at basically around 60%. So once again, that means when Nicholas Waugh was on the ice uh, at five on five, because I should mention that most of the stats we're going to talk about today, it's at five on five. And that's for a reason. Uh, the Knights took 60% of the total shot attempts when Nicholas Waugh was on the ice at five on five and their opponents only took 40%, which is, really really good and you can even break that down like on websites like natural stat trick you can go to the game by game level and i can you know go to uh the edmonton oilers game which was the night's last game uh before the pause and i can see like okay specifically what was nicholas Waugh's uh coursey four percentage in this game i can even go okay what was his coursey four percentage specifically when he was on the ice and you know leon dreisaitl the heart trophy winner was on the ice he actually did very well in that circumstance but you can keep breaking it down to you know, player, team, and then like player matchups and stuff like that. Um, so like I said, it's interesting to kind of determine kind of overall how the ice is tilting in a uh, game. But there are some flaws when it comes to Corsi. Uh, number one, the goal of the game of hockey is not just to possess the puck. Uh, it's obviously to score goals. So if you fire a shot right into an opponent's shin pads, uh, that is not necessarily a good hockey play, but it does help your Corsi. Uh, you could also, you know, fire a slap shot from the center circle. Well, that's plus one Corsi for you. But once again, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're likely to score a goal on that play. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, and this is going to apply to a lot of the stats that I'm going to talk about today, it's mainly useful for either five on five or even strength. Um, on power plays, one, obviously one team has more uh, guys on the ice and the other team so the course is going to be skewed and even in that case it's going to you know be different just because there are teams that set up differently on the power play some teams like to pass a lot with the man advantage and not take a lot of shots they want to set up kind of one perfect shot that has a really high chance to go in rather than kind of just whack away at a goaltender and use the man advantage to just kind of fling as many pucks as at the net as possible. Um, so obviously one of those kind of power play setups is really good for Corsi. The other is not. And overall, obviously, you know, depending on the number of power plays a team gets, the Corsi is going to skew one way or the other. So it's mainly interesting to look at it when we're talking about five on five play where things are relatively even across the board. Uh, the other thing to know about Corsi is it's very context dependent. So I mentioned, you know, earlier about Nicholas Waugh and how he had a really good Corsi number. Well, keep in mind his Corsi numbers apply to, um, you know, the Knights basically whenever he's out on the ice with them. It's not necessarily that Nicholas Waugh attempted 60% of the shots and uh, the other team attempted 40%. It's the Golden Knights as a whole attempted 60% of the shots when Nicholas Waugh was on the ice and the other team as a whole attempted 40% of the shots. So I mentioned that he did very well in that Oilers game. Well, guess what? He played with Max Pacioretty and William Carlson in that game. They were on a line together. So that is certainly going to help his numbers if he's playing with two really good line mates who are also very good 
at holding onto the puck and kind of driving play. And along with that, uh, the Corsi numbers are also highly dependent on who they're facing on the ice. So I mentioned that Nicholas Waugh probably got lifted up a little bit because he played with Max Pacioretty and William Carlson in that Oilers game. Well, for instance, you can also get your numbers dragged down a little bit if you're facing some really tough matchups. So if you look at the Golden Knights kind of Corsi 4 list, uh, Zach Whitecloud had the second best Corsi 4 percentage on the team. And it was much better than Braden McNabb, who was on the Knights' number one pair. Uh, does that mean that Zach Whitecloud is much better than Braden McNabb? Uh, not necessarily, because McNabb isn't necessarily going to put up great Corsi numbers because he's usually facing the opponent's best forwards. So if, you know, Big Dab's closer to 50-50, that's, you know, more okay because if he's facing the other team's best players and kind of playing them to a draw, that's good for the Knights because they have the depth to kind of win the lower matchups. And, you know, Zach Whitecloud, whose uh, numbers in terms of Corsi are really good, I mean, he's mainly doing that against uh, bottom six forwards. So the quality of competition, you know, can really skew Corsi as well as, of course, the players that you're sharing the ice with. Um, the other thing that's a big caveat with Corsi is, of course, uh, the score can play a huge factor. So uh, if we look at another game right before the pause, uh, the Knights took 59 shot attempts to the Winnipeg Jets 42 for a Corsi percentage of uh, 58.11. I believe this was their third to last game before the season paused. Uh, so good Corsi 4 percentage for the Knights. Does that mean they had a good game? Uh, it does not, because the Jets got up 3 nothing in the first period, and after that, the Knights led in shot attempts 38-20. Uh, to 20. So this is what's called a, a score effect, which basically means the score affects how the game is being played. So in this case, the Jets are up 3, so they're a lot more likely to sit back, kind of let the Knights possess the puck, and just not give up quality chances, because they're protecting a lead, they're not as concerned with kind of pushing play the other direction. Uh, they're not as concerned as, you know, looking for offense. And so that can affect, obviously, the shot attempts in a game if one team gets out to a big lead and then kind of sits back. And for the Jets, it obviously worked that game because they uh, won for nothing. Um, so that's Corsi. So to sum all that up, possession stat, um, very, you know, at least interesting, more kind of engaging than even just shots on goal because you kind of see... Like I said, you know, how the ice is being tilted one direction or the other at five on five. Uh, but there's a lot of caveats that go with it. It's very context dependent. So don't just throw out Corsi numbers and say, well, this guy is good or this guy is bad because of their Corsi numbers. You got to dig deep a little bit and actually look at what those numbers are saying and how they might have been affected by the circumstances of the game. Uh, all right. Well, that was a long spiel on Corsi. This next stat is going to be very easy. Uh, it's called Fenwick. Uh, basically, it's Corsi, except you don't count the block shots. Boom. That's it. Uh, the NHL basically calls it unblocked shot attempts. Um, it's basically a different flavor of the same stat with less widespread use, because obviously, you know, it does take away those block shots, which aren't necessarily positive plays, but that also removes a lot of data points in terms of possession and it's not like guys are often like kind of purposely uh, firing their shots into the opponent. So it's probably taking out some useful data points. So most, most people uh, just use Corsi. But 
if you do want to look up kind of the unblocked shot attempts, if you think your team just had a lot of uh, shots blocked in the game, then Fenwick uh, can be helpful for you in that regard. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hires you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots? Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. Let's move on to another one called Scoring Chances, which is kind of like a little bit of a step up, I would say. Uh, from Corsi, because as we talked about with Corsi, it doesn't necessarily take into account the quality of shot attempt. Like I said, if you do fire it into someone's chin pads or your shin pads, or you do fire a, a shot from, you know, beyond the offensive blue line, still counts the same for Corsi. Uh, scoring chances in this case don't necessarily uh, count that. It's all about a quality look or a quality shot attempt. Um, it's from a dangerous area that is more likely to result in a goal, which is pretty simple, obviously. But the key question is, well, what counts as a dangerous area that uh, you know leads to a scoring chance? So I'm going to try to visualize this, this for you guys, despite this being, of course, an audio medium. Um, basically, imagine a home plate kind of in the middle of the defensive zone. So the top part goes from the top of one face-off dot to, or face-off circle, I should say, top of one face-off circle to uh, the top of the other face, face-off circle. So we've got a little um, horizontal line kind of um, across those two circles. Uh, then the home plate has two lines going from the top of those face-off circles, kind of the middle top, and going right down to the face-off dot. And then you have two diagonal lines going from those face-off dots to the top of the trapezoid, uh, which is below the goal line, kind of meets right at the goal line. So it's a little bit to the right and left of the goal crease if you're visualizing there. So it doesn't quite form the point that a normal home plate has, um, but it's pretty close enough where it's still got that home plate shape. And anything within that home plate area uh, an unblocked, any unblocked shot attempt that is, 
is considered a scoring chance. So basically, you're talking about, you know, below the top of the face-off circles and inside those two uh, face-off dots and, you know, slightly uh, inside, those are kind of where most of your scoring chances are going to come from. And then at the uh, bottom of that home plate area, basically kind of right around the crease, any shot attempt, even if it's blocked, is also going to count as a scoring chance just because you're so close to that at that point. Um, and the only things outside the home plate area that are going to count as scoring chances are, you know, any unblocked rebound and then shots off the rush because those are very dangerous shot attempts, basically. Um, scoring chances, of course, have a lot of the same caveats as Corsi in terms of you have to take into account the score, matchup, and other things when you're you know, trying to compare it between teams and players. But, you know, the basic point is obviously creating more scoring chances than you allow is a good thing. And it also lets us know which teams are getting the most out of the times they do have the puck. Um, one thing I want to make clear, though, is keep in mind, uh, you know, you can generate a lot of scoring chances, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to score just like an avalanche of goals. Uh, the Knights actually created uh, 1,781 scoring chances at 5-on-5 five five last regular season, which was the most in the NHL. Uh, and they scored 134 goals off that chances, off those chances, which is about a 7.5% conversion rate. So it's not like you know, you're cashing in every single scoring chance you have. Um, there are just a lot of times where the puck just doesn't go in for whatever reason. Um, and that takes us right into... The next stat I want to talk about, which is, hey, high danger scoring chances. These are like scoring chances, except they're even better. Uh, high danger chances either right in front of the crease or it's an unblocked rebound or rush shot from that home plate area. And that's it. Those are the only things that get counted as high danger chances. Um, they obviously hop, happen less often than just regular scoring chances. So you don't get quite the sample size you do with some of the other stats we've talked about, but once again, it's obviously good to have more of them than your opponent. Um, the Knights had 726 scoring chances of the high danger variety, which was the most in the NHL uh, last year. And those high danger scoring chances, as you would expect, had a higher conversion rate. Uh, the Knights scored on about 12% of them last year compared to 7.5% for those regular scoring chances. Um, and so now we're going to graduate to one of the kind of big advanced stats that I think is can be tricky for people to get their head around. I mean, if you combine, you know, Corsi, scoring chances, high danger scoring chances, you can take all those data points and you add it all up and you can get to expected goals. Um, so using historical shot data, uh, websites can compute basically how many goals they would expect a team to score given the shot attempts they've taken in a given game and as well as their scoring chances and high danger chances. They can basically say like, okay, uh, Max Pacioretty just fired, you know, a shot from the top of the left circle on net. It was unblocked. Uh, that has, you know, whatever, a 4% chance of going in. So they get, you know, an incremental fraction of an expected goal. I made up, obviously, that percentage, but hopefully you kind of get the idea. Um, like all the stats we've talked about to this point, you can do it on a team level, game level, uh, player level, and even uh, matchup level you can you know say like hey overall you know max patch had a very good expected uh you know goals percentage this season and basically the knights were expected to you know outscore their opponents uh each night 
um, if he was in the lineup. And the Knights were very high in like almost all of these advanced stats. Um, and then here are the caveats because they apply to uh, both this stat and a lot of the other ones we mentioned. Um, as weird as it sounds, uh, not all scoring attempts, even from the same spot, are created equal. If Alex Ovechkin and Ryan Reeves take a, sh- a shot from the same part of the ice, they don't necessarily have an equal chance of going in, uh, even though, you know, kind of historical shot data might view those as equivalent. Um, finishing talent is a real skill that uh, some players have, and that's why a lot of those players that really have it get paid a lot of money to play hockey. Um, and that often allows some teams to outperform their expected goals and for some teams to not. So kind of as you'd expect, the Tampa Bay Lightning, for instance, you have Nikita Kucherov, uh, Braden Point, uh, Steven Stamkos, who's an outstanding uh, goal scorer and also their captain. They typically outperform their expected goals from uh, from season to season. So once again, uh, that's websites kind of taking up all the shot attempts, all the scoring chances, all the high danger scoring chances the Lightning have in a given game, kind of spitting out a number that says, based on all these shots they took, we'd expect them to score, you know, like two and a half even strength goals in this game. And the Lightning, in a lot of these cases, uh, then end up actually scoring, you know, maybe like around three goals per game because they have enough guys who can finish really well, know how to score a lot of goals, and that allows them to kind of outperform the metrics. And uh, teams like the Washington Capitals and Colorado Avalanche, who, you know, the Capitals obviously have Ovechkin, the Avalanche have, you know, superstars like Nathan McKinnon, um, you know, that holds for them as well. And those aren't one-year flukes either, so it's not just like, hey, they got lucky, which can happen even in large sample sizes like an NHL regular season. Um, it's kind of been a consistent trend. And then since the Knights have entered the league, uh, they've actually underperformed their expected goals because they don't necessarily, you know, outside of maybe Max Pacioretty, have those, you know, high-class top-end finishers who can convert kind of more scoring chances than they would be expected to. So, you know, once again, it's like Alex Ovechkin scores on plenty of shots that a lot of guys don't score on, and that's what makes him such a valuable player, and that's what helps the Washington Capitals kind of outperform you know, what's expected based on just the analytics a little bit. And that's, once again, something where you have to kind of marry the eye test with the numbers because the numbers will say one thing. And then what you're actually seeing, which is Alex Ovechkin has one of the, you know, the best one-timers of all time, will tell you something different. Um, and the other thing that I want to mention with kind of all the stats we've talked about in terms of expected goals and kind of what goes into it is that while obviously there are good and bad numbers here, uh, the margins are really close. Uh, the Knights led the league in expected goal percentage by uh, or at 56%. So they are expected to score uh, 56% of the you know five-on-five five goals uh, against whoever they were playing, and that adds up over the course of a season. Uh, basically, you know they were expected to outscore their opponents at five-on-five five by about 30 goals over uh, the course of this last year which 30 goals is a lot if you kind of stretch that over time, which is what these metrics are kind of designed to do. uh, That's a lot of goals, but it's also less than half a goal per game. So a lot of these statistics are useful to analyze in the long term, and they can be more predictive in the long term. Uh, But game to game, 
they're basically not necessarily, you know, as predictive. Teams win while having lower expected goals numbers than their opponent all the time. They might just get, you know, a lucky bounce or, you know, have a puck deflect off someone's skate. I mean, that happens almost nearly, you know, every game it feels like, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, over 82 games, you expect things to kind of even out a little where, you know, you have some games where you outperform your expected goals. You have some games where you don't. Um, but, you know, on an individual kind of game to game basis, it's not necessarily a predictive stat. The goal is for kind of expected goals to be predictive over the long term. If you take all the Knights, you know, shot attempts, scoring chances and high danger chances over the entire regular season, um, that's kind of what you want to look at more than just kind of necessarily always analyzing uh, the, the minutia. And because once again, we're talking about a lot of five on five stuff here. Uh, expected goals usually, you know, isn't as great, like I said, for Corsi when it comes to uh, special teams. And special teams obviously can be a huge part of any given matchup. So a team can obviously out expected goals their opponent five on five and still lose because they gave up two goals on the penalty kill. Um, you know, one way this kind of cropped up is the Knights actually had just a little bit more expected goals than the Stars in the Western Conference final at five on five. Uh, they had 8.13. Dallas had 7.71, uh, but the Knights lost the special teams battle and the series ended in five games. And once again, when we're talking about kind of slim margins, the Knights, you know, are leading the league at 56%, which doesn't sound like a huge, huge share. Um, you know, that was, that was so, so close that there wasn't necessarily a meaningful difference between, you know, the two teams. I mean, we're talking about basically 0.1 of an expected goal, uh, less than that each game so it, it doesn't always necessarily it isn't always necessarily a meaningful difference there um, i want to talk to about two more stats before we get out of here uh, another one is a more basic one which is called uh pdo and hopefully this is a little bit of a palate cleanser because i know i've thrown a ton of information and caveats about all these stats um pdo is basically just a really basic measure of luck uh it doesn't actually stand for anything but it is the sum of a team's shooting percentage and save percentage. Uh, over a long stretch of time, you know, that's almost always going to be around one. So if a team isn't doing well and its PDO is below one, you can probably expect it to bounce back a little at some point. You know, maybe they're getting kind of below average goaltending and it's going to regress kind of to the mean at some point. Or maybe the team is just in a cold shooting slump and eventually they're going to start bearing their chances a little bit. Um, and that can also work in reverse. If a team is getting off to like an unexpected hot start and its PDO is well above one, you can probably expect them to come back to earth a little bit because maybe they're scoring, you know, more goals than they necessarily should be. Their shooting percentage is high. And eventually those same shots are just going to, you know, find a goalie's chest protector or something. And they're going to come back down to earth a little bit, or maybe they have a goalie kind of playing out of his mind for like four or five games, but, eventually the goal is going to come back to earth a little bit. Um, this applies to players too. You can take a look at what their team shooting percentage and what their team save percentages are when they're on the ice and know whether they're kind of getting lucky or not when they're out there. Uh, and the Knights actually were definitely on the downside of this. They were 28th in PDO last year at .990. And this is something that uh, was, you know, I know brought up by uh, Dave when he wrote the story on uh, Gerard Glant getting fired by the Golden Knights is that, you know, at the time their PDO was very low. 
They were not necessarily getting that, you know, shooting percentage that you would expect with a lot of the forwards of the caliber the Knights have, and they weren't necessarily getting enough saves. And, you know, it's one of those things, if you can't score and you aren't getting saves, at least to the level that's kind of expected, you're getting a little bit unlucky. Well, and it's hard to win hockey games. And so it was probably a little bit of bad luck that led to uh, that firing by the Knights. But obviously you can't say that Pete DeBoer didn't come in and do a pretty good job as well. Uh, the last one I want to talk about, and this is one that's really uh, unlike a lot of these other stats, is uh, zone starts, which is another kind of basic advanced statistic. And the name, or as the stat, as the name kind of implies, uh, it literally just says where a player starts a shift. Offensive zone, defensive zone, neutral zone. Um, and this is useful basically to see how coaches deploy their players and what these guys are actually asked to do on the ice. Uh, so, for instance, uh, when it comes to zone starts, who was really high for the Knights in terms of offensive zone start percentage? Uh, Zach Whitecloud and Nick Hag, which makes a lot of sense, right? So, you know, Pete DeBoer or Gerard Gallant uh, knew that these guys were rookies. They didn't want to necessarily put them in bad spots. So they started their shifts uh you know, more than a lot of their other defensemen as far away from the net as possible. Uh, You see this a lot with young players and you see this um, sometimes with kind of veteran third pairing guys that are kind of more offensively driven in terms of defensemen. And basically it's kind of like giving them training wheels. You're trying to make their assignment as easy as possible. You know, it gives um, them a chance to potentially create an offensive opportunity or if they have to defend the other team has to break out of their zone and go a long way to kind of create a scoring chance. And on the flip side, uh, one player who's really low in terms of offensive zone start percentage is Braden Braden McNabb. Obviously, part of that is because he's not the team's most offensively skilled defenseman, uh, but it's also because he's super high on the defensive zone start percentage because he's trusted to prevent goals. And so if there's kind of a key face-off uh, in the Knights' defensive zone, it's more likely than not that you know McNabb's a guy that's going to go out there and be assigned to that because the coaches trust him to handle those situations well. Um, so those numbers are kind of a you know um, quantitative way of you know telling you what a player's roles are and what the coaches are kind of doing to uh, use them, and also it gives you just kind of a little bit of an idea of what their trust level is you know, in each guy. And once again, these are important to know because to bring this whole full circle, uh, they're helpful to put all the other stats we talked about in context um, to kind of pull White Cloud and McNabb into this. You would expect White Cloud's, once again, his Corsi numbers to be high, not just because he's getting easier matchups, but he's starting them in an easier place as well. It's a lot easier for the Knights to rack up shot attempts when he's on the ice if they're already starting in the offensive zone more often than not. Uh, on the flip side for McNabb, if he's defending opposing top players and doing that uh, starting quite a bit in the defensive zone, well, now he has to help the Knights break out of their own zone and get all the way to the other end of the ice just to even get a shot attempt. So it's a little bit harder for him to kind of put up those big positive Corsi numbers. Um, so I hope this was an interesting breakdown for you guys. I hope you've learned a little bit about advanced statistics, how they can be used in hockey and kind of the good, the bad and the ugly of, you know, all these stats, what they do well, what they don't do well, what are kind of, you know, the vulnerabilities of each in terms of what they do describe, what they don't describe. Uh, But overall, like I said, I think 
you can go through a lot of these numbers and they help you tell the story of the game more than kind of your basic stats, your shots on goal, you know, just just face off, just hits and stuff like that. You can actually learn a lot more about who's controlling play, who is generating better looks. And then from there, that can help you kind of figure out why a team ultimately prevailed in a given night or if a team didn't prevail. And, you know, if so, what were they doing well? If not, what was a matchup maybe that was key that they weren't doing so well at? Um, once again, I hope that was helpful for you guys. I also hope it wasn't too boring. I understand if you uh, had to hit the snooze on this one or just want to circle back to kind of more regular hockey talk at a later date. I just hope this would be something fun and educational to do uh, with Dave on vacation. Um, but that's going to do it for this latest edition of the Golden Edge podcast. A reminder to everyone that we are presented by Indeed and FavorShotDrinkOfFavor.com. Also, please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. And of course, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. It helps people find us and we very much appreciate it. Well, I'm Ben Goats, and I'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.